0: What's happening, everybody? On today's show, our buddy Chris Marler. Say hi, Marler, of the Saturday Football Uncensored Podcast joins us to talk all things ahead of SEC Week 3, what happened with Bama and AM last weekend, and seriously, is the SEC overrated? Locked on SEC starts right now.
1: You are locked on SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: And what's up, everybody? Welcome into Locked on SEC. I'm Chris Gordy. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network covering your team every day. All right, we got to jump right into it, Marler. You were there, scene of the crime. Uh, I was there in person when I saw LSU lose to Florida State a week ago. You were there in person for the Alabama loss to Texas. Before we get into how the game played out, take us into the environmental, because everybody I talked to said it was just... The whole environment leading up to the game was just awesome.
1: Eh,
0: okay. Really? Um,
1: so, Not very good. So, I'll I'll take you through my weekend. It was like we got there on Friday. We went to Innisfree. We hung out with a bunch of people from Bama Twitter. Had a really good time. You know, I, I had a blast. That that part was fun. Packed out a lot of Texas fans, a lot of Bama fans, all kinds of stuff. Um, next day, didn't go to game day. I've seen game day a thousand times. I you know it's it's it was gonna be hot. I'd rather go see like more friends and, and do all that kind of stuff. The tailgating scene I heard on the quad was awesome. I was at a um, a house tailgating, uh, about like a five minute walk from the stadium, and I I enjoyed that. We had a we had a really good time. Going into the stadium, there was like a, a decent buzz going into it, but I was shocked to get in there and see the stadium not full. I I didn't. That was that was odd to me. And then I was hearing like people say like Yeah, you know, we bought these tickets for three hundred dollars like a couple weeks ago. We they were going for eighty today like on on SubHub and stuff like that. So I think that, like, obviously people were pumped to watch it. It did, like, over 10 million viewers on on TV and and stuff like that. Um, But I thought from, like, a a crowd standpoint, it it felt like, and maybe I was just, maybe I'm wrong. It felt like they were really only a factor and loud in, like, the very beginning of the game. And then after that first interception, there was a lull. And then, like, for eight minutes in the third quarter. Like, it just, it didn't seem like they were, everyone seemed shocked more than anything. I've
0: said this about, and and we've seen it across a lot of SEC stadiums throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one, we've had the problem that Saban always calls up Bama fans on when you're playing the non-conference teams and everybody leaves at halftime. Look, sorry, we don't want to watch you beat up on Mercer for, you know, a half. But the other one is, I think as the prices go up, up, and up, you price out a lot of the blue-collar fans that are going to go and scream their heads off and it becomes a country club sport like the elites can afford the thousand dollar tickets but as a result they're not good they're going to show up a little late because oh we were at the tailgate we were drinking and then when they get there they're just kind of stand around and hey go get me another beer you know it's like they're not you know cheering and all that so I don't know there's a little element to that but uh, I wonder if this being such a big game so early in the season did maybe people burn out early? Were people tailgating and got too hammered or
1: maybe. I mean, and again, like I heard I heard nothing but great things from the tailgate from the actual tailgates. Um from what I saw inside. And like I, I think I just think anytime you don't sell out a stadium, I mean it's Bama, Texas. How do you not sell that out? How how is the stadium not full at kickoff? And and I said something about that on Twitter, and I got of course I got some pushback, like anything I say apparently. Um, and, and it just, I just, I was just a little bit disappointed in it. And I thought the stadium could have been louder at times. Um, and you know, there were just, there were just things I've seen in other SEC stadiums. It's not, it wasn't Sanford. It wasn't Death Valley. Um, it it wasn't Jordan. I went to Jordan hair last year for a game against two, I think three and five teams at the time between them and A&M. And that was a much more electric atmosphere. It felt like, um, but that, that being said, like, that's not why they lost the game. Um, and and we talked about this off air. It's like everything that I thought was going. I I wasn't shocked by by hardly anything that happened on Saturday. Like like, and you look at the box score especially, it kind of played out exactly how I thought it was going to play out. And I know that sounds like that may sound crazy, but I, if you look at everything I said beforehand, it was I said Texas was going to get the ball and score first. I didn't see how this game didn't start with Bama down fourteen to three. They were down thirteen to three, and then I thought they would be they would have enough to claw their way back in it. They took a lead in the fourth quarter, but ultimately they would lose by 10 10 plus points, and, and that's what they did. And I think the stuff that you'd be concerned with is, you know, like that, like they, Texas had dudes. Like Texas is a really good team, and you need to give them credit. Cause it's like all all I've seen from this is for the most part is everyone saying how this is why the dynasty's dead, and that this went wrong, and this went wrong, and they didn't do this well, and this is this is like showing why, I don't know, like like all these different reasons why Bama sucks after this game. But Texas is a very, very good football team with a, let's not forget, now he's on the Heisman watch finally, but you're talking about the number one ranked high school quarterback recruit in the history of of recruiting services, and he's got dudes everywhere, and you saw them on display all day on Saturday night. The problem for me for Bama is, like, the offensive line, Quinn Ewers, his jersey was the same exact color when he walked off the field as he walked on it, and then you didn't get any pressure on their quarterback, for one, um, gave up five sacks. You should never have five sacks on a quarterback like Jalen Milrow. But the other thing is you took a lead in the fourth quarter, and what you're not used to seeing from Saban teams is you take a lead in the fourth quarter. Not only did you lose, you gave up 21 points, the most ever in a fourth quarter under Nick Saban. Um, and then in the way it happened, after you took the lead, it wasn't like you had the lead and blew it late. You you had Texas go right down the field, right. three plays, 75 yards to score then you, your first offensive possession, you throw a pick, and then their first pos- possession, or first play of their possession, they score. Yeah. So you took a lead, and then in five plays, you're down 11. That, that
0: I thought, was the turning point of the game, because even when Bama takes the lead and Texas answers and they take the lead back, what, right. I, what I saw from, uh you know, when they get the interception, what we've seen so often from teams, that, you know, that visiting teams at Bryant-Denny Stadium or, or wherever, playing Alabama, is you go, oh, thank God, okay, we've got the lead, now let's try to let's run the ball, let's milk this clock and let's try to get out yeah. of here with the win, and that's where they always fail cuz Bama D steps up, gets a stop, gets the ball back, you're done. Right. What Texas did was no, Sark said keep the foot on the gas pedal, we're going we're throwing it still and going deep and then they go up double digits and it was like, "Oh god, okay, they they might win this game." But that yeah. that to me was the turning point we've seen so often with Alabama. I, I said like something special was going to happen. Sark called a hell of a game and put the put the pedal to the metal and said, "We're not afraid of Tuscaloosa. We're not At afraid all. of Bama. And if we're going to win this game, it's got to be with big explosive plays."
1: Well, and, and here's the thing: I think one thing that people have figured out when you beat Bama, and it's it started out as a cliche, but it's very very real. And it it, it is it's like it's kind of like playing like craps or or like roulette or something. I mean not roulette, but like like once you start winning a little bit, you have the option to keep pushing your luck, right? Or like maybe blackjack, just gambling in general, or cashing out. Like and, and what I mean by that is, people always say like you're not gonna beat Bama by kicking field goals, right? That hasn't happened since 2011, that that one game in Brian Bryant Denny. Um, but you're not gonna beat them by by kicking field goals. And one thing that teams have started doing, and I, and I don't know if Bama's adjusted as well to it as possible, because in the past I think you had this this thing where it'd be like, all right, you have this big mighty defense, Nick saving defense, and and you knew Bama was going to be able to run the football and enforce their their impose their will. Um, so if you were fourth and two from the the Bama forty five or you know midfield, you're going to punt them deep, right? Make them travel the whole whole length of the field and, and stuff like that, and, and take your chances that way. I think now what you're seeing is, is people that are going into these games, and it's, you see with Kiffin all the time. You saw it with Sark. You have to defend these teams, especially these good offenses that have so many different weapons and, and, and great play callers. You have to defend them for all four downs. And you have to – like, they're, they're – it felt like several times on Saturday, and this is a coaching thing, where Bama got a stop. And like, oh, thank God. Thank God. They, they're going to have to punt. It's fourth and one, fourth and two. And then they – you see the offense stay on the field, and it looked like they already had a play that they were ready to call – and Bama's running people out there, not really sure what to do.
0: You know what? Uh, the craziest stat—I I, I couldn't believe it. I, I double and triple checked it after the game, but Alabama did not like. When's the last time you can remember? A game Alabama did not record an interception or a sack in a game. Like uh, probably last year. Well, so here's the funny thing. I, I was going back <laughs> thinking, "Oh God, this must have been like ten years since they've done no. it." It was the Utah State game last year, the opener, which ironically no. they won like fifty-five nothing. But it was it. That just feels like a rarity. Every other game last year, Bama either had a, a
1: pick or a sack because it's what Saban but defenses he, do. If you look at it too, and this is one of the things I was so happy to see in Game One against even those Middle Tennessee State, was they had they were plus two in the turnover margin. They didn't do that in a single regular season game a year ago. Finished plus two. And you think about Bama's defense in the past, like plus two is nothing. I mean, right. It's nothing. And and they they finished eight of eleven regular season games versus FBS opponents last year without an interception. And so I but if you sit there and look at like if you're gonna air it out that much, you you would assume at some point they are gonna come away with the football and you would assume assume at some point they were gonna get a, a pass rush. And it wasn't even the fact they didn't get to the the, the quarterback. They they weren't even close, man. And and I, I kept saying this too, the most impressive part of this and and we could break it down from every angle about what why Bama looked bad. And, 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 I, and I feel like we've, we've all done that. But the stuff that Sark was doing on offense was so impressive. And, like, the ratio – I said this the other day on Twitter, too. The ratio of of how – the distance of how open his receivers were getting per second each time you were dropped back was incredible to watch all night. And I mean all over the field. Like, the, the play design was incredible to watch all night – made you cover the entire 53.5 and the entire, it seemed like, 100 yards. It was just, it was it was really impressive. But the other thing is this, too, Gordy. is like, I'll, I'll say this, and, like, I know this is going to come off as, like, being a homer. So just, let me preface it by saying, I also said they'd lose by 10-plus points since June. Yeah. And it was pretty spot-on about it. Like, so you look at the rest of the schedule, and I understand the whole sky is falling thing. This is the earliest they've lost to to um, an FBS team um, I'm sorry, like, earliest they've lost in the season or save saving in, like, 15 years and they haven't had their backs since this early like this before. But, like, there's no one else on that schedule that you look at and it's like, that's a loss. That is an outright well, loss. We we just don't know, really, what any of the other teams are yet. Right. And, and
0: Yeah, and we'll get into it next segment. Um, you know, look, LSU looks like crap one week, they look great the next. We've seen this across the entire SEC so yeah. far, so... Little, maybe this weekend we get into conference play a little bit. We'll start to see what some people have. But uh, he is Chris Marlar, Of course, the uh, Saturday Football Uncensored podcast. We'll uh, start to get into week three here in just a little bit. Stay with us. First, I want to remind you guys that this episode is presented to you by our friends over at ebay motors look passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors they got everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led light uh, headlights and more Whether you're in the speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. You'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with the eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebay.com slash motors. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're continuing on here on Locked On SEC and uh, our buddy Chris Marler, of course, from the Saturday Football Uncensored Podcast. Marler, before we turn the page and get into week three, uh, just a quick thought on what you saw from AM in Miami because for the first time in a while, offense wasn't the problem for AM. They scored 33 yeah. points. But what happened to DJ Durkin in that defense? Goodness gracious. Yeah,
1: um, I, that's tough, man. I don't know because, like, you would think that thirty-three points would have been enough for them. Um, they were able to do something early on in that game that was impressive, and then just it seemed like every time they would pull ahead um, at all, it was immediate that they were they were behind. Um, I mean, again, credit to Miami, but like that is—I I said this is the lock of the week that AM was going to win like outright the money line—and um, shows, shows what I know. But they—they they were like the defense. I think we'll be fine. They've got too many too many talented guys on the defense to to not be. Um, and maybe you, you make it you, you make the the case that this meant so much more to Miami or whatever, and Christopher and all that kind of stuff. We've seen Christopher in big games and he's fallen flat on his face way more times than not. This was shocking to, that they pulled away by that much late in the game. Um, I admittedly didn't get to see the very end of it because I was going into the stadium. Um, so maybe a bunch of stuff happened that I don't know, and it was a crazy ending that it that, that, that looked worse than it was. But, I mean, they were down to half. They were From 17-7, when things looked good, everything went downhill tremendously after that.
0: Yeah, and A&M did score again. It just, uh, you know, Connor Wegman threw the first two interceptions of his career. Now, mm-hmm. the second one came in, in late in the game and didn't really matter. But, um, yeah, it, it just was... It's what I said last week too. I mean, now it's it's the talk starts to come up again. What's Jimbo's buyout? You know, is he going to turn this thing around? Is seven wins the seven wins keep him safe? Is is eight wins what he has to right. get to? It's just this. It's a tough battle of um, you know where does he need to get? And big picture, Marler. I know I asked you last week: is the SEC overrated? I'll ask you again. where, where are we with the SEC? Because I go back and forth. Look, you mentioned it. Alabama lost to a really good Texas team. LSU lost to a really good Florida State team. Yeah. I mean, there's no shame. Like, okay, if if Alabama wins that game, are we feeling like they're going to go undefeated? But suddenly they lose one game, and now it's oh, well, now multiple losses are going to come. Like, it's it feels like there's no in between
1: here. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. And I, I think that the Bama stuff. It's I've I've, I've struggled with this because I, I I genuinely think that they're going to be okay. It's it's week two. It's week two. Like, we don't know – like, all these teams are going to look very different the end of the season versus versus the beginning, right? Um, I think the idea that I'm seeing people saying, like, Mississippi State and Arkansas are going to be teams that could beat Bama. No. <laughs> like, just, just no. Like, absolutely not. Um, it's comical to think that, in my opinion. Uh, but the other stuff – I mean, you know, like – I, I do think that one thing that'll be interesting to watch because the SEC has got the benefit of the doubt for a really long time. And you look up right now and you see the Pac-12 has eight ranked teams. Now if you go into conference play, like usually you see with the SEC, where it's like, oh man, you know, they cannibalize themselves and there's there's so many they lose all these games because they're playing all these tough opponents in the SEC, but you don't have the option or the the ability now to to go into the season where you're going to start playing each other and be like, Well, that team was already four and zero and they're a bowl team, whatever. And you've been embarrassed on a national stage. And and, and I, I don't have the numbers in front of me of the games that we've seen like in years past. I know that Georgia played Oregon last year. Um, LSU played Florida State. So there were some big marquee games. But, like, it's not just how – it's not that they got beat. It's how they lost. And in the games that you did win, like, the most impressive one is what? Ole Miss beating the backup quarterback against it's Tulane. Too, yeah,
0: if Michael Pratt plays in that game, I feel like Tulane might win that game over Ole
1: Miss. So. Yeah, they were ahead from they were. I think they were ahead going in the fourth. They were ahead in the fourth at some point. It was at least close. Um, so yeah, I, I think that the SEC has a 15-20 a, a year resume that will give them the benefit of the doubt with a lot of people. I work for a company that we cover SEC football specifically. I'm not in that boat. I, I think that I think they're the third best conference in the country right now. I, I think like behind who? behind who. Behind the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Okay, but who's the Pac-12 beaten? Everyone. <laughs> They've started out like eighteen and zero. Yeah, but like,
0: what's their what's their most impressive win?
1: Uh, probably Oregon going on the road and beating Texas Tech. I, I mean, Texas or, or Tech, Oregon, Washington. Okay, I, I, like these that, are... was a, that was an upset for a lot of people. I did not understand that. What? I, dude, listen, if you if you <laughs> if you're watching the Pac-12 with eight ranked teams compared to the SEC with five. I, I get saying, it, but like none what of is them. The SEC's most impressive win?
0: Somebody was trying to sell me. Well, no, that's the point. Is like nobody has impressive wins other than Texas and Florida State. Like who? Who against else? the SEC? Like somebody was trying to sell me on Utah's win over Florida. I'm like, Florida's supposed to win six games this year. Stop.
1: Like right, but but I think that you you look at that and like that that game should not affect. I think what like people's like national optics of the SEC, but it will right because I think when you get to the end of the season, like. Like we're the Big Ten, I think is pretty soft, but I think the the whole idea that the SEC West is the best conference or division in in college football. It's not true this year. It's just not. The Big Ten East is a better division, and that's not taking anything away from the teams that are in the SEC West, and they could be a lot of solid teams. Maybe they all go six and six at least and make a bowl game. I don't know, but when you look at the Big Ten, especially in the East, like I see Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all in like the top six.
0: Yeah, well, that- Michigan's had some real impressive wins over, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, I don't know, Alabama high school. Like, it, it, I, I can't overreact to any of this crap because we're two weeks yeah. in and a bunch of teams have played FCS schools. Like, it doesn't. Hey, but if,
1: I'm just saying, if you're asking me right now and I had to say that decision, you look at what they put on the field. I feel like, like I get what you're saying. Like, the only two teams with impressive wins, Texas and Florida State. And you're right. But those impressive wins came by double digits against the SEC.
0: All right, Marler, before we get into week three, I do wanna I wanna throw some SEC stats at you. We did this a year ago oh, with no. you. Two weeks into the SEC, I want to test your knowledge and see okay. is, Everything's so weird. Uh are two weeks into SEC play, who leads the conference in passing?
1: I my brain immediately went to Mississippi State, but it's uh I'm gonna say Ole Miss. No, uh, well, so this is a kind
0: of fluky thing. A.J. Swan does because Vanderbilt's played an extra game. But I'm going to take them out, take him out. It's Spencer Rattler at South Carolina. He leads the SEC in passing yards, followed by Jaden Daniels at LSU, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, and Carson Beck. How about this? Joe Milton, Will Rogers, and K.J. Jefferson are 10th, 11th, and 12th in the SEC in passing right now. That's pretty
1: crazy. That's pretty crazy.
0: Would have never get – like, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I would have had those three guys in the top five most likely. Um, rushing leader, I already said it earlier, but it's Woody Marks at Mississippi State with 250 yards. Do you know the other four top leading rushers? Two of them are from Tennessee, Jalen Wright and Japari Small. Missouri's Cody Schrader and Ray Davis at Kentucky.
1: Like, I'm so glad that you didn't let me answer that because you said, <laughs> Do you know who they are? And I was like, Yeah, sure, I'll take a shot at it. <laughs> like, Quin- I would have never been close.
0: Quinshon Judkins, 12th. In the SEC in rushing yards, he's yeah. preseason All American Marler, like right. he's supposed to be <laughs> unbelievable. Rocket Sanders. Now he missed this week, but he's twenty eighth yeah. in the league of rushing. He's going to miss another week this year. So like right now, Quinshawn and Rocket will not even be like they're not even going to be the top five in SEC in rushing by right. year's end. So that one was crazy. Jason McClellan, by the way, nineteenth. He was a lot one that everybody was jumping on. So
1: yeah, uh, crazy I thinking,
0: yeah. receiving yards. Xavier Leggett at South Carolina, leading the conference in receiving yards.
1: That kind of makes sense.
0: Uh, the other one's Evan Stewart at AM, Brian Thomas at LSU, Will Shepard at Vandy, and Ricky Parasol at Florida. So no surprise
1: with those guys. But yeah.
0: how about the stat of the week, Marler? Brock Bowers caught one pass for three
1: yards this week. Here's a th- here's something, too, and I bring this up. I, I said it on our podcast, and, and I will say it again like, as, as many times as I can. Because it's it's the most impressive stat in, in like maybe the country to me, at least, especially the SEC. There's no one in the country that does a better job of distributing the wealth like with the football to their skill position players. Like Georgia, this is they they had eleven different guys catch a pass in in week one, and they had twelve different guys catch a pass in week two against uh, whoever they played against Ball State. Nine of those twelve had at least two catches, and Brock Bowers was last out of the twelve with with only three receiving yards. Like that's a really good job of of, of starting to do. That entire thing they were able to do in 2021, which is develop the depth of that position and develop like depth of the pass catchers, especially, so you get to the end of the year if anyone's injured, <laughs> Bama, and you don't you don't uh, you know rely on all that. I uh, I just find it fascinating. So
0: Brock Bowers is 31st in the SEC in receiving yards right now. Uh, didn't Desmond Howard pick him to win the Heisman? <laughs> How's that cool? Yeah, that was,
1: and then people defended it like it was like. He's shooting with He's the best player in college football. I was like, okay. All right. I'm not sure. All right. We, we if your got- name is like Kirby 6'9, 420, like <laughs> dogs on top. We're, that's, everything you're saying is null and void.
0: We got, uh, we got some games of the week we'll get to in a little bit, but I wanted to run through some of the, the junk games for this yeah. week. I'm putting Alabama-South Florida in there. It's weird yeah. they're going at South Florida. Uh, Alex Golish, obviously, from Tennessee. He's the head coach there in Alabama. A 32-point favorite. Look, I think Bama will win. I don't know if they'll cover the 32. It's a lot of points. But let me ask you this perspective. How do you handle the quarterback spot, Marler? Do you do you say, Milrow, this is your whole game. Go out there. Once we get a comfortable lead, we'll pull you. Some people thought think maybe – you bully Milrow a couple series, but get those other guys in there just to get a look at them.
1: I think that's what it'll do. I I, I heard rumors when I was leaving Tuscaloosa that Buckner was going to start week two, which I knew it was not a lot of truth to that because it was like, listen, I don't think that Saban reacted that that badly on Saturday night to Sunday morning. Like, um, you know, it's like a drunk decision I would have made if you, if in college like that. And it's like you wake up like I did what? Um, no, I, I think that they'll play for sure. It'll be interesting to see who the third quarterback is. It's Ty Simpson. Um, I do think Buckner gets some snaps and gets gets a look because I think I think that Melrose is the best option, man. I, I do. And again, here's the one thing about football, too, that sucks it's like you're gonna have bad games, right? Like, you're like, think about how we talk about Stetson Bennett, right? And I'm gonna use this example because it's 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 probably the best one to use. We talk about Stetson Bennett, about how think about how we talk about Steven Garcia, right? Yep. Like. And he, he like it's kind of the like inverse of each other like stephen garcia goes off against bama and it's like a, one of the most memorable games of all time right Seton bennett as like he got blamed for all of these things a the terrible quarterback and and really you start go look at the numbers he was great for all of 2021 and then he plays that that bama team in atlanta and he throws three interceptions and they lose by 17. oh what do you do in response to that he came back and balled out the rest of the playoffs and then all 15 games the next year like it's not baseball. It's not like you go 0 for four one day and then and you get like all these other games to even it out. Like it's a more glaring disappointment if you have a bad a game in football. I, I think they're fine with Monroe. uh real quick, do they cover the thirty two? I buy it the thirty one and hammer it. Okay.
0: Uh U L Monroe at A and 36 and A half thirty six and a half point home favorites.
1: Cover that. I'm not betting against Louisiana Monroe as as a as a Bama guy ever <laughs> ever take Louisiana Monroe.
0: <laughs> uh, Samford plays at Auburn. There's no line on that game, but uh, how ugly be? How ugly was that game against Cal? I mean, like it, it, it was funny because I was joking with our locked on Auburn guy, Zach Blackerby. I said, "Well, at least they're you know this Auburn coach is known for
1: defense. No, he's known for offense. What the hell was that?" Let's let's talk about Zach Blackerby for a second because I love him to death. He's one of my favorite people in in all of sports media. But his poll today. Power ranking the SEC and having Auburn fifth was hilariously bad. Like, no, 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 no. We no, don't no, no. know. We don't know who is what yet. We don't know who's I good. know. I know that that Auburn <laughs> team that had 230 yards total offense and four turnovers against Cal and had had two drives over five. Yeah, they got zero See, losses. Zero losses. So, yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, they had five. They had five. I'm sorry. 12 of their 14 drives had five plays or less. They were awful all night. Wow. All right, a few more real quick because we got to get the games that count.
0: Uh, Vandy's yeah, sure. at UNLV. Vandy, four-point road favorites. When's the last time Vandy was a road favorite?
1: Probably like, a, like an academic decathlon or something like that. <laughs> I don't know that they were playing Frank the Tank in old school. Um, I... I'm not touching that game. That's that is degenerate business right there. Um, <laughs> it's at Allegiant Stadium, too. That's like, is it? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, like,
0: will they give out free tickets on the strip? Like, hey, come, there will be come get a buffet and games. enjoy a
1: football game. I just I just would love to like my, my dream scenario for this is like like there's like 11 people in the stands and like it's just the Vandy Whistler and like. <laughs> Chris Angel Mind Freak in the same row. Just like, who can be more annoying? <laughs> uh, Georgia Tech is at Ole Miss. Sneaky one here for Ole Miss
0: yeah. after they got pushed around the trenches by Tulane. Um, they couldn't run the football. And now Georgia Tech, I mean, the program, they're one and one. But, like, I don't know, Ole Miss 19 and a half, uh, that, that feels like one. You know what? I've talked myself into I think Ole Miss is going to cover it.
1: So... <laughs> They – this game last year was, like, one of my locks of the – I think it was my lock of the week was in the score first, covered six and a half in the first quarter, and then, like, I think it was, like, only 14 and a half or 13 and a half in the first half, and they they did all those things. Um Tech is a little bit better. Tech is a little bit better, and you also have Haynes King, who's familiar with Ole Miss and, and, and played um in the SEC and all that good stuff. Uh And they look pretty good for, like, part of the game against Louisville in, in their opening, opening week game. Probably should have uh, won Atlanta. it. Probably should have won it. Um but I think that like oh miss the only thing I'm concerned about is like all right you have bama the following week what does it look like what are you doing in terms of prep where like are you sitting people early are you trying to run up a bunch of points like and and get some confidence going into it cuz let's not forget too there was a there was a week i think or a, a few years back i think it was 2021 they had they they were averaging like like around 38 points in the first half alone of games like they they were Destroying people early and often in, in those games, and they obviously got shut out against Bama. Um, I I wonder how vanilla if Lane can even do vanilla on offense. I wonder how vanilla the offense will be. Yeah,
0: and a bit, they got to get their ground game back going because they got to go to Tuscaloosa mm-hmm. next week, and uh, they can't go in there with no with no run game at all. Uh, last mm-hmm. one: Akron is at Kentucky. Kentucky twenty six point home favorite. Uh, Liam Cohen tweeted he will be back at the at that game. So he had a medical <laughs> episode earlier this week. He says he's going to be back <laughs> for the game. So uh, I don't know. You like Kentucky minus the twenty six?
1: No, okay. they, they have, they've looked pretty bad so far. Um, Not great against Eastern spread. Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. So I, I but I like them to win obviously. And, and listen, these are all wins. Like you said about Auburn, this is these are like Kentucky will be three and zero going into the next week. And then the next week is at Vandy. They'll
0: be 4-0. Right. So, yeah. uh, all right, we'll hit on the five biggest games in the SEC in just a second with our buddy Chris Marler. First, want to remind you guys, uh, this episode is presented to you by one of our newest sponsors here. It is Jace Medical. And let me tell you a little bit about them and what they bring you. Uh, Jace Medical will give you the Jace case. What it is is provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is you fill out a simple online form, and in some cases, jump on a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. You get ongoing care from their physicians on any treatment-related questions, doctor-created, doctor-recommended. Don't get caught unprepared. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones, During the unexpected, and Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Uh, They had a customer review from Frank who said, it's easy as one, two, three, and just in time. Received our package the same day he got a sinus infection and his doctor was out of town. No appointments for days. Thank goodness it arrived. Look, storms, shortages, pandemics, reliance on China and supply chain issues. We need to be prepared now more than ever. Jace Medical is simple. Like I said, go online, fill out that form. You get your prescription, life-saving medications right to your door. The Jace case will give you peace of mind so that you are not just hoping that you have access to medication in an emergency. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off when you use our code Locked On at checkout. Go check them out, Medical.com. That's J-A-S-E, medical. .com. Go check them out today. All right, uh, continuing on here on Locked On SEC with our buddy Chris Marler. Marlar, we've, uh, we've got five games in the SEC that we need to hit on before we get out of here. So let's hit with B- uh, BYU at Arkansas. We saw Arkansas go out to BYU last year, and um, they won pretty convincingly. Now BYU yeah. comes to Arkansas. A weird now SEC versus Big 12 matchup. That can't get my head around that one. Yeah. But Rocket Sanders not going to play again, still out in this one. And Arkansas did not look very good against Kent State last week, a, t- a team that t- they should have just rolled. What's going uh-huh. on with the Arkansas offense,
1: and how do we like them against BYU? I mean, I don't know. What is the line? Eight. Arkansas minus eight. Eight. Yeah, I would take BYU. I think that, like, like first off, here's the one thing that you see from BYU teams always because they're Mormon, is is they're a veteran team for real. Yeah. Two things I know about BYU football: soaking and they're Mormons. So <laughs> they, um, they, like, I think they'll be fine. Uh, I think Arkansas will probably win the game because you have KJ Jefferson, who's Superman. Um, I, it's a concern if, if Sanders isn't ready, but it also kind of tells me that, like, maybe maybe the concern is is like not as deep. The coaching staff, if, if it's not a must-have for him to go, um, especially they've announced this early, I think he, I think they'll be fine. I think they'll win the game. Um, you know, that's that's one of the more underrated atmospheres in the SEC and, and maybe all Power Five. Um, so it's not going to be easy for BYU to go there. But I would say, and, and also yeah, I think too, Arkansas killed him last year. I take Arkansas. Uh, by the way, KJ
0: averaging just. Under 200 yards passing a game so far this year, only 59 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown. We have not seen. Wow. You said he's Superman. We've not seen KJ be Superman just yet. But step up in competition, maybe steps up his play. Uh, how about this one on the SEC Network at 11 a.m.? It is number 15 Kansas State at Mizzou. Mizzou, a five-point home underdog. That's a big. That's a big game for Mizzou as a non-conference early season game.
1: Yeah, low-key, uh, one of the better matchups you're going to see in any non-con game this um, this season, especially in the SEC, and I mean like position battles, the, the Kansas State offensive line, which is maybe the the top two, one of the top two best in the entire Big 12 and one of the more underrated offensive lines in the entire country, going up against that Missouri front seven, I think Missouri had a big-time struggle bus win last week against MTSU. Um I would expect them to. Maybe they were just overlooking them because this is a very big game. I mean, this is this is a the epitome of a swing game for for um, Eli Drinkwitz, right? Like they need this win, but you know, I I hate to say it, I, I think that Kansas State is probably a, a more talented team um, and also knows how to win a little bit more than this Missouri team has shown that they know how to do especially under Eli Drinkwitz the last couple seasons.
0: Yeah, and the offense hasn't – like, Cody Schrader's been great with the run game, but Brady Cook's not looked, you know, superb against South Dakota and Middle Tennessee. What do you think he's going to look like against Kansas State's defense? So, uh, yeah, I'm almost inclined to take Kansas State minus the points, but, again, Missouri is at home, so – you know, maybe some weird things go in their favor. But Eli was under under scrutiny this week. People asking, who's really calling the plays? He said, Kirby Moore's calling the plays. I have some input. And it felt like a Jimbo, uh, Bobby Petrino situation. Uh, let's get into a couple more. Uh, the, the early one that, man, this one is is weird. LSU at Mississippi State.
1: Yeah.
0: When that line first dropped, it was LSU minus 10. I think it's around LSU minus 9. That just seemed like a really high line for for LSU. Because Mississippi State's 2-0, a uh, nice home overtime win over Arizona a week ago, though they were, fa- you know, nine-point favorites in that one. But Mississippi State has been old school, back back to their roots of dominant run, dominant defense, and Will Rogers not having to do a whole lot in the passing game.
1: Yeah, it's almost like, uh, you know, people expected LSU to be contending for a national championship, so they should be able to beat teams like Mississippi State by 10 points, so... Um, I would take LSU and I think that's that might be an early favorite for lock of the week besides the game I think you're gonna tell me about next. Um, I would take I would take LSU because I think this is also a game that needs to be a statement game for Brian Kelly and that team. And, and listen, I don't know I don't I don't even know what the final score was against Grambling. But I know that when I looked up and 70 something points. Nice. But when I look at it at one point it was 14 to 10, you're like, man, just come out and like put your foot on like on someone's throat for all 60 minutes. I think you're going to start to see like we saw this last year and LSU in this game where the, the identity of this team started to take place. And I, I think that's what happens in Starkville. It'll be a fun little road test for them, even though it won't be that difficult, 11 a.m. kick. They might, I think they sputtered probably early, but I think they win, they win big.
0: Let me give you this. This is my favorite stat that I saw today in this game. In this game two years ago, LSU went to Starkville. They eked out a 28-25 win over Mississippi State. In that mm-hmm. game, Woody Marks ran the ball 13 times. Will Rogers threw the ball 62 times. Wow. This past week, in their win over Arizona, Woody Marks rushed 24 times. Will Rogers threw 17 passes. So, like, That's crazy. what a flip of what they were two years yeah. ago to what Mississippi State is now. So, yeah. uh, we'll see what they look like against Florida State or against LSU. Do you like Mississippi State plus the nine?
1: No, i like LSU to cover. Okay,
0: All right, we'll see uh 10 and two last week in my picks by the way i love it i'm loving it um all right uh we got two more we'll, we'll start with the blowout uh expected south carolina is at georgia georgia 27 and a half point home home favorite um uh, Georgia's just look uninspired through their first two games and maybe yeah. it's because of the opponent maybe they played down but georgia's run games not look very good like they you know they're we're so used to them playing these Inferior opponents and rushing for like 300, 400 yards. We haven't seen that yet. At South Carolina, like we talked about, the nine sacks week one wasn't good with Spencer Rattler, but Rattler's letting it fly. Throwing for 300 yards a game, maybe if he gets some protection, I expect Georgia's going to have some sacks on him, right? But if they can maybe protect him a little bit, he can complete
1: some balls, keep this one closer? I don't think Georgia had a sack this weekend against Ball State. Um, So, I mean, I would expect that to change. Here's the thing. (laughs) This is like Every year I feel like we look at this game and go, like, oh, man, this is South Carolina can pull the upset of the century. And they did in Sanford Stadium in 2019. It was crazy. Four and 18 beats a a team that ends up playing for the SEC championship, all that good stuff. I don't know what Shane Beamer did to Kirby Smart. I I don't know what he did. But Kirby hates him like like every kid that ever listened to Taking Back Sunday hates their stepdad. Like they – he hates him. I mean hates him. Uh, Um if my stepdad's listening, just know that I love you. I was just making a joke. TBS is a great band, though. Um, anyway, no, I think I think that, that South Carolina goes in there, and it is maybe it's close a little bit early. Maybe it's like some of those Kentucky games we saw in the past where it's like, oh, you know, it's like they, they it's close in the first quarter, but I think it turns into the opposite of those Kentucky games. And I think you your UGA blows them out. Um, he's dominant. Kirby has dominated South Carolina. He's dominated the East in general, but he has dominated South Carolina. You saw they did them a year ago on their home field, um, when they when they had a little bit more juice uh, I think in their back pocket for South Carolina. Twenty seven and a half, I think this is another one that I would hammer. Like I, I just like stay away from them first quarter and first half because they have not gotten off to good starts, but my goodness had they put it on people late. Yeah, and I might I
0: might take back my sack comment on 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 uh Spencer Radler. Georgia through two games has one sack on the season. It was Michael Williams against Tennessee Martin. You just played Tennessee Martin and Ball State, and you have yeah. one sack as a team. Like, it's not good. hey, if I'm Spencer Rattler, I'm going. Damn, North Carolina got me for nine. If I if Georgia gets me for none, we might pull off this upset. So yeah, um, m- my opinion is too many points. Give me give me yeah. South Carolina plus the points. Keep it a little closer. And uh, lastly, the game of the week. It is number eleven Tennessee at Florida. Two weeks ago, Marlon, I would have said. Look, I got Tennessee hands down, but watching what Joe Milton and that offense looked like, uh, they got it going against Virginia eventually. But Austin P was just a a big wet fart. I don't know what was going on in that game. The offense was just <laughs> it was it was not good to watch, man. And Tennessee only a six and a half point road favorite. And of course, the the note they have not won in Gainesville since two thousand three. The more and more this week goes along, Marler, I might be leaning upset. Florida. Didn't play great against Utah. They played awesome against McNeese last week. It was McNeese. Right. But they got the ground game going finally. Montreal Johnson, Trevor ATN, they look good. Graham Mertz, be that game manager. Don't mess up. Just play safe football. I don't know. If Joe Milton looks like Joe Milton like he did last week, I think this one's close.
1: I didn't get to see all of last week because I was at an actual football game. Um, but I will say this. Joe Milton, I love what he's done so far. Because we all want to see these massive stats come out. But there's one stat that he has he he has put up that I love more than anything, and that's zero interceptions. Four touchdowns to the air, seven total, zero interceptions so far. He's made a couple of, like, you know, bad mistakes, I think. Um, but they've been able to run the football pretty well. I think their front seven is good. I think their front seven is going to give that offensive line fits for for Florida. What is the line again? Six and a half. I would take Tennessee, and it is it is now the lock of the week. That well, is like like and here's the thing, though. I, I, I fully want to believe and get behind Florida. And I think that line will drop down. So if you wait, I, I would take it now at six and a half, but if you're trying to bet on it, it'll probably drop down to five, maybe four and a half, something like that. And you could probably get it even at four in some books, maybe in the next couple of days. Because here's the thing. Tennessee has beaten Florida in the swamp two total times in the last 51 years. And I will say that again. Tennessee has beaten Florida in the swamp twice since 1972. Think about that. Wow. And if you're gonna sit here and, and fact check this, by the way, and say, "Well, they didn't play every year before '92," it doesn't matter. That's embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Um, I, I, t- I still say take still say take Tennessee. I think this feeds into some of those games. The same stuff you see with like Ohio State uh, teams, like Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin, some of those some of those teams where it's like you kind of have a bit of an asshole as a coach, and you're gonna want to go in there and prove a point and flex some muscle against a rival. And I think this is a perfect spot for Tennessee and Josh Heupel. And I think that fan base. This is like this is like Tennessee's. Nothing would make Tennessee happier than destroying Florida. And I think that's that's probably closer to what will happen than a, a six point win.
0: Two things on this matchup: both teams have played their first two games of the season without their starting centers. Both guys mm-hmm. are expected to come back. Cooper May is supposed to come back for Tennessee. Kingsley Watkins is supposed to come back for Florida. Billy Napier made some interesting comments this week saying that. He said Cooper Mays is the key to that offense, that he is the straw that stirs the drink with the tempo, with running yeah. three plays a minute. I found that interesting. When he said that, I went, oh, well, if Cooper Mays is back, maybe that will fix what, what we've seen kind of poorly out of Joe Milton. I laugh when you said he hasn't thrown an interception yet. My Tennessee friend might say, well, you've got to throw a catchable ball to be uh, picked off because, you know, True. throwing it over people's heads. But, um, no, look, that might be the key to this one. Uh, both teams getting their centers back. And maybe Florida's run game plays much better with having yeah. their starting center in there i'd agree with that so you're leaning tennessee and the points
1: I'm all over tennessee
0: all right i'm leaning florida in the points but it's early i may change yeah. as the week goes along he is chris marler from the saturday football uncensored podcast uh remind everybody where they can follow you
1: yeah man i appreciate it. it's always a fun time going on here uh saturday football uncensored podcast we have new episodes out every Monday and then on Thursday as well we' actually we have a live show every Sunday night that uh, that is live immediately and then the podcast comes up Monday morning and then uh, every Thursday morning as well so follow Saturday football uncensored on um, obviously all the platforms for streaming and then Twitter and then Vern Funquist on Twitter and Instagram
0: you got anything else you want to throw in there before call hey, the show so much. Uh hang on wait, I think I had one. Uh Alabama's lost snapped their 21 straight home games. That was an active streak in the FBS. Uh, they had won 73 straight home games when leading entering the fourth quarter. Nick Saban had gone 121 straight home games without a double digit loss. You got to go back to his LSU days in 2003. So there we oh, go. You want to hear another stat? You want to hear another stat
1: going back to his LSU days in 2003? Only yep. uh, he's 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 lost a total of 7 games. As a top six ranked team before mid October since 2003. Okay. So in the first half of the season, it, it, like he's only lost seven games, right? That right? His record after that, 53 and seven. 53 of those games are against power five opponents. And Alabama, it's happened uh, in the last three times it's happened is 2015, 2021, 2022. He's 25 and two after that. So just remember when LSU comes to town and tries to beat them for the second time in, in 11 years. Um, it should be it should be a really fun game.
0: Second time in eleven. Oh, in Tuscaloosa, you mean? No, no, In oh, eleven years. No, the, O beat him in he nineteen. in Eleven years. Brian Kelly, Kelly beat him, him last him. year. <laughs> Dude, Zayn lost to Ron Zook. All right, come on. You lose to Ron you guys, Zook.
1: Listen, listen. You know, Bama lost, but you know what? My favorite part about Bama losing was they didn't lose by twenty four and get their backs blown out by Florida State on national television, and they also didn't congratulate the offensive line or the defensive line mid game. To tell them how good of a job they did.
0: First off, that guy's gonna not play much anymore. They're gonna play the freshman Lance Hurd is probably gonna play right tackle now. Miles Frazier is gonna be pulled from right guard. Uh, also, I'm looking around. I cannot find. I, I was told there's joyless murder ball around here. I can't find. That's it, so, so good. I'll this keep...
1: needs to be a segment at the end of the show. Is just us talking <laughs> blank to each other. Yeah. I
0: love it. All good, Marlar. Good to uh, talk with you, man. And uh, we'll do it again next week.
1: Sounds good, bro. Talk
0: to you then. All right, this has been uh, Locked on SEC. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.